The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. From Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. Now, here's your host, Rev. Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and I'm glad that you're listening with us here today. We've got another great program, as we always do here on the Spirit of Recovery. Thank you for sending us your comments via email, and thank you for posting on Facebook. I love hearing from you and hear how you're responding to what's happening here on Spirit of Recovery and hear what's going on for you in your recovery walk and in your spirituality growth. So thanks a lot for participating, and thank you for listening. Thank you also for sharing um, about Spirit of Recovery with the people in your recovery network with the people in your unity network and other spiritual networks your family and your friends uh we love that we love that our listeners are growing and uh thank you for spreading the word that's just great for us i love being able to broadcast on the topic of recovery and spirituality right here on unity online radio as you know there are lots of good programs on unity online radio and uh So we're one of those. Spirit of Recovery is one of those great programs. So I love listening, uh, hearing from you and knowing that what we're doing here on the Spirit of Recovery is touching your heart, is opening up your mind and giving you some ideas about recovery and inspiring you. Every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community. We always have guests who are down to earth, who are knowledgeable, who are innovative, people who are working directly uh, in the recovery field. Sometimes these people are also in recovery themselves. Uh, They're always people who um, are right there on the front lines doing what's innovative, doing what's working, doing what's real in the field of recovery and spirituality. And these guests are always bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking Uh, You know, you can listen to Spirit of Recovery here on Unity Online Radio in a variety of ways. Of course, you can listen through your computer, you can listen on your smartphone, and you can listen anytime, 24-7, to our archives. Our programs are archived at unityonlineradio.org slash program slash Spirit of Recovery. I want you to know also that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place, that I understand that recovery is a large tent. And so if you're in recovery from any kind of an addiction or if you're a family member or a friend of somebody that's got the disease of addiction and perhaps you are in your own recovery as a family member or friend or perhaps not, or perhaps you're just curious about what recovery is all about, Um, We're glad to have you here listening with us on Spirit of Recovery. We're glad to have you participating in our conversations. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister and an addictions counselor. Also, I'm a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people with the disease of addiction. And uh, many years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth um, and spiritual development and recovery, and my walk is an integration of the unity and the 12-step recovery principles, and that keeps transforming my life, and I am so grateful to have these tools, these principles available to me, and to have communities that I can participate in that support that growth. Today, our topic is, 
What do we owe our kids? And I have with me today some wonderful guests. They are Marty Harding. Marty is the Director of Training and Consultation at Hazelden Publishing, and she's in charge of training that accompanies Hazelden's evidence-based programs. Marty's passion is community-based prevention, and several of her community-based programs have received national recognition. Marty is the author of The Coach's Guide to Drugs and Sport, which explores the significant role that the leaders of sports and other school activities do play in the lives of young people. So I've got Marty Harding, and I've also got with me today as a guest, Sue Thomas, who is the Director of Content Innovations and Management at Hazelden Publishing. And Sue has been working with Hazelden for 10 years. She has a master's in education and curriculum development, and she has worked in the prevention field for the past 20 years. Sue started out as the prevention editor at Hazelden, and she's worked on many of Hazelden's evidence-based prevention programs, covering such topics as alcohol and other drug prevention, violence prevention, and mental health. So Marty and Sue are going to be talking with us today about what it is that we do owe our kids. Um, how is it that we can help our kids navigate this complex world that we live in? How can we support them? How can uh, we uh, support, create, uh, participate in prevention efforts? And how can people, especially in recovery, adults that are in recovery, really hold the light for young people? I also uh, want to share on a personal note that I had the privilege a couple of years ago when I was uh, getting my master's degree at Hazelden Graduate School of Addiction Studies, I had the privilege of serving as an intern uh, under the uh, supervision and guidance of Marty and Sue. And I can tell you these are two wonderful women who do incredible work and um, are really out there on the cutting edge of this field. So Marty and Sue, welcome to the Spirit of Recovery. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's great to hear your voice. And for those of you listeners out there who may be tuning in um, often to this program, the amount of work um, that Anna does behind the scenes is phenomenal. She sent us uh, about three pages of incredibly provocative questions. So I think we could talk about this topic for the next three or four hours. so thank you for, for all of the, the work that you put into this. It's a wonderful program, and we're delighted to be a part of it. You're Thanks welcome. Thanks so much, Anna. Thank you. We're glad you're here. So, um, and I'll let you all just sort of switch off, and uh, wh- whoever of you wants to talk, it, it's good, or uh, whoever wants to start off. But uh, tell us a little bit about what prevention actually is. That's kind of a big term and can mean a lot of different things. What does it mean in the context of recovery? Well, we're talking, I think, on this show about preventing all kinds of issues that affect young people. Of course, Hazelden's core mission here is the prevention and um, early intervention and treatment and recovery support for people who have problems with alcohol and other drugs. So that's one of the things that we'll be talking about, but we also want to take a broader focus on this to talk about bullying and suicide prevention and dating violence prevention all of the issues that affect young people today, each one of those is, is a heartbreaking issue when young people experience it. I think it's also important to realize that all of these inner uh, issues are intertwined and that you oftentimes will see them, uh, young people that have multiple issues going on at one time. Right. It's interesting. I, I happened to see a, a newsletter, I think, just the other day. I get lots of e-newsletters about recovery and so forth in uh, the professional treatment field. And it was talking that about the children that get uh, involved as bullies are often abusing substances, that those go hand in hand. So they are intertwined, aren't they? They are, and the research shows that uh, young people that bully at a young age um, oftentimes go on to have higher substance abuse rates. They also have a lot of issues with... um, uh, more criminal activity when they're older, vandalism, truancy. There's a lot of effects if the, that issue is not dealt with. Um, and recently there was another study that was done that showed that um, it also affects the kids who are being bullied themselves, um, that they also have higher rates of use. Um, so it's really important to, to deal with both the perpetrators of violence and also the kids that are experiencing it. So 
So it's all very intertwined. And mental health also is very intertwined with the suicide prevention as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We just did a webinar on, on dating violence, and Dayanera Exner-Cortens from uh, Cornell University was online with us. She was talking about a recent study that she had done um, looking at the correlates of dating violence and found that dating violence many years later in a young person's life when they became in dating violence in high school when a young person uh, was in, um, I, as a young adult, experienced more problems with alcohol and drugs, with um, depression. Um, so they're, they're all so tightly correlated together. And because of that, we know that some of the same things that work in prevention for one area will also work in prevention in another area. Mm -hmm. T would you tell us uh, a little bit about uh, the general history of prevention? Because I think what we're talking about right now, the, how all these, these different issues feed together, may be kind of a, uh, maybe, some, maybe people know that intuitively, but professionally, that hasn't always been known. And a lot of times when you do hear the word prevention, I think a lot of people think, well, it's just about alcohol and drugs, or and maybe that's how it started out. I don't know. Tell tell us a little bit about the history of the prevention efforts in this country. I'll try to do that without putting your listeners to sleep, especially if they're driving. Okay. Um, but I, I do think that we owe a lot of the research to the alcohol and drug prevention field. Um, certainly, we've been doing trying to prevent problems as long as we've been humans, probably. Um, but the research around it and what works, what's effective, really has come out of the substance use prevention field. And it started in the 1960s when, when as a nation, we got really concerned about a young people. Um, we mostly used scare tactics, scare tactics at that time. We thought if, if people could only see what these uh, awful drugs cause, the problems they cause for young people, they wouldn't use them. And so we used scare tactics. Um, in the early 70s, we started the war on drugs with a strong focus on enforcement. Mid-70s, we moved into information with the thought, let's just give them enough information and then they'll make good choices. Late 18, 1970s, we did affective education, which said that if, if kids only felt better about themselves, maybe they wouldn't use alcohol and drugs so much. And moving on to the decades in the 80s, we said, let's give them alternatives. Let's figure out something else they can do and keep them away from alcohol and drugs. And it wasn't really until the 1980s when we said, you know, maybe we need to do a lot of these things, some of them more than others. And we started to develop a comprehensive model that looked at activating all parts of the community, sending the same message from many messengers, and using, throwing out the things that didn't work, like scare tactics, and it, working on the things that we were, started to show promise. So in the early 1990s, we had a lot of research and evaluation. So we could, we could say this kind of an approach actually makes a difference in the life of a young person. Um, in the mid-1990s, we moved into environmental approaches that looked at policies and the, the environment that a young person was growing um, up in. And so all of those things eventually surfaced in what we know now works, which is um, evidence-based education so that we're giving kids accurate information coupled with strong peer approaches, social and environmental approaches that say uh, not everybody's doing this and you can grow up healthy without, without using surrounding young people with supportive and caring adults and especially working with those primary caregivers and making sure that they're from a very early age giving consistent and appropriate messages. Um, that's about alcohol and drugs and it's really probably um, in the, what would you say, Sue, maybe the early, 
early 1990s when we started looking at violence prevention and what we could do. Well, and the earliest research on bullying prevention started in the 70s, and then it was after the Columbine event in the late 90s that it came to the United States, okay. and you see this great spike in the amount of research going on in the U.S. around the issue of bullying at that point. But um, there had been research going on in terms of what is bullying, um, what are the dynamics of bullying, a lot of that had come through since the 70s. So I think one thing I want to stress, uh, you know, um, prevention science has been around for 40 years, mm -hmm. and we've learned a lot, and I think the important thing for people to know is that, that prevention does work, um, and that there's a science behind it that says that it does work. Um, some people in, sometimes in recovery can say, well, I'm not sure prevention would have worked for me. Um, you know, and that may be true for people who have more of a chemical dependency um, uh, background, but um, for 80% of the kids in a school, prevention will, really does work if it's implemented with fidelity. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us some of the ways that, uh, that you know prevention works? Like how do they do the studies or what do they, um, how do they measure this? Probably, well, if you're looking at alcohol and drugs, probably the most significant study that's been done, and like Sue says, it's been done for 40 years, is the study out of the University of Michigan um, called Monitoring the Future. And you can go to their website, Monitoring the Future. When I started in the field, I didn't, you didn't actually say how long um, I've been doing this work. I'm even older than Sue. Um, so okay, Marty, look... we, we, we don't ask you how old you are, but how long have you been doing this? Because I know you've been involved in community coalitions and stuff. When did you start in prevention work? I have. I started here at Hazelden in 1974 when we were a little tiny organization of 150 employees and always knew that I really wanted to work in prevention. So I started working in prevention um, full-time in 1984 here at Hazelden. And so I, I have had the opportunity to, to test out a lot of the things I was learning and work, working in communities um, across the United States. So, so we've, I've relied on this monitoring the future study as a, as a baseline. And I, I just pulled it out to, to look back. And when I got started, um, when I went into schools, I really wanted to be able to tell the kids that not everybody was doing it. But it was kind of hard because, like, almost everybody was. So if you looked at in, in those years, um, when you looked back over 30 days, which we can, in this field we consider that kids that are using currently, when we looked at the stats then for the, the seniors in high school, we had around 75% um, of the kids that had used alcohol in the last 30 days. That was a lot of kids. So I could... I, I couldn't say most of you aren't using alcohol because it wouldn't have been true. Um, but we are under 50% now um, and have been holding steady with that for, for quite some time, um, really down around 40% of the seniors that have used in the last 40 days. So that's, that's pretty exciting. So when people say, ah, I don't think prevention works, it's, it, that flies in the face of the data that's there. That is exciting because I was uh, doing a prevention grant in the Midwest in for two years and uh, back in the mid-80s, and it was a lot higher than 40% the use rate. So that's great to hear. That's incredible. That's, that's good stuff. And certainly, even though it's going down, we still need to continue to do our prevention efforts because um, they are working, but they need to be sustained over time. Absolutely. It's time for our break right now. Listeners, stay with us. Um, we'll be right back. Our topic is what do we owe our kids, and my guests are Marty Harding and Sue Thomas. They are uh, directors at the Hazelden Publishing uh, Foundation, and they are very involved in prevention with pre prevention curriculum and training and development and working in the prevention field. So we'll be right back. Stay with us. If Unity Online Radio has helped you grow spiritually through programs like this one, please consider supporting this online radio programming. Visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. 
Thank you for helping us continue to serve as the voice of an awakening world. Now and then, life is challenging. I may not welcome challenge itself, but I welcome the opportunity to learn from whatever arises, to grow in understanding, to flex my spiritual muscles. Every day is a new day, a fresh start. No situation or circumstance can hold me back. My life is not only about what's happening to me, it's also what's happening through me. The Christ within is my source of unlimited wisdom and creativity. I do my best when I respond to any challenge from my Christ nature, rather than reacting impulsively from my human nature. Every day I pursue what enriches me, enjoying the journey to my goals as much as the destination. This inspirational message is brought to you by Daily Word. Daily Word. Inspiration and practical teachings to help people of all faiths live healthy, prosperous, and meaningful lives. Give Daily Word to yourself or a friend and give the gift of hope, joy, peace, and encouragement. Order your subscriptions today online at dailyword.com. Are you tired of life slamming the door in your face? Did you get another rejection letter, pink slip, foreclosure notice, or go on yet another bad date? Does it seem like the older you get, the more hopeless life seems? Are you ready to stop taking no as your final answer? Then join us for Design Your Life, a talk show by Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach. Go into the locker room for one full hour with the championship coach every week and start designing your winning playbook that will make the rest of your life the best of your life. That's Design Your Life with Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host, and I'm very glad that you're listening with us today. If you're just joining us, our topic is, what do we owe our kids? We're talking about prevention of uh, alcohol and other drug use, uh, prevention of dating violence, prevention of bullying, and also suicide prevention. And my guests today are Sue Thomas and Marty Harding. They are directors, uh, Marty, the Director of Training and Consultation, and Sue, the Director of Content and Innovations and Management at Hazelden Publishing, and they are both uh, deeply involved with the the, uh, community prevention efforts with curriculum, with developing curriculum, with training communities on curriculum, and uh, they have a wealth of information and background, and so they're sharing with us some very important ideas about what we can really do to support children and teens and young people um, in living healthy lifestyles. Before I get back to my conversation with Marty and Sue, I'd like to invite you to join me in the Serenity Minute. It's a moment where we reflect on a constructive idea, where we relax in the quiet, and where we open ourselves up to that presence of our higher power. So I invite you now to join me in this constructive idea. As I learn wisdom and self-care skills for myself... I extend those learnings to support children and teens in living in healthy ways. As I learn wisdom and self-care skills for myself, I extend what I'm learning to support children and teens and young people in living healthy lives. And so we relax now in the quiet 
and open ourselves up to that presence of our higher power. for joining me in the Serenity Minute. And I trust that it was an opportunity to take a breather, to relax, and to feel that loving presence. And so now I'm back to my conversation with Marty Harding, the Director of Training and Consultation at Hazelden Publishing, and Sue Thomas, the Director of Content Innovations and Management at Hazelden Publishing. And our topic is, What Do We Owe Our Kids and Prevention? So, uh, Marty and Sue, before the break, you were telling us uh, that prevention really does work and that there's evidence to back that up and that there is a science of prevention. So it's not just a a guesswork here. There's some new uh, innovations uh, that have been coming along that are really important, too, and that's in the area of brain research. So what does that have to do with prevention? 10, 15 years, we've learned a lot about the brain, um, and we've learned a lot about the adolescent brain. And what we've learned is that um, a child's brain is actually still developing through the age of uh, 24, 25, um, and that using chemicals at, at an earlier age can actually affect the brain development of that child. And you can actually see on brain scans, if you look at a child that's using meth or marijuana, and compare that to a normal uh, brain, you can actually see the changes that are happening in the brain um, because of their use. And sometimes because of the fact that their brains are still developing, um, that the effects of that can be long-term. Um, so it's really important as we talk with kids that we use science to show them. And oftentimes one of our curriculum, we talk about the fact that they're the boss of their brain and they can make choices about how they um, take care of themselves and how they, uh, if they use or don't use, um, but, but they have to understand the science and the fact that their brains are still developing and, and that it has a different effect on teens than it would on an adult. I think that's an important thing. Kids may ask, why is the drinking age 21? Well, there's a good reason for that, and it really is based on um, it, brain science backs that up. Mm-hmm. We didn't know this before. We didn't know about the brain science. Like uh, it's it's just the recent brain imaging techniques that have allowed us to to figure out a lot of this. But it, I used to have a saying to to keep them alive until they're 25 was my sort of baseline, and I didn't know why. But when I looked at actuarial tables from insurance companies, every your insurance rates drop. If you're a young male, your insurance rates don't drop until you're 25. And that's based on the risk-taking behavior of young people that for some reason, and they didn't really know why, just went down after they were 25. And it's because that part of the brain that, that controls um, impulse and allows you to make decisions and forecast, that brain part of the brain develops much later. And so young people are able to make better decisions and think about their futures um, about that time in their life, which is really pretty scary when you think about all of the things that they will encounter in their lives up until that point. So the things that brain researchers say basically is parents and adults have to be the foot on the brake. Um, because there's a lot of push on the accelerator with hormones and the, that part of the brain not being developed and that urge to take risks. And we have to, be, we have to exercise some controls in there before that part of the brain is developed. And that's a big reason why prevention is so important because you help to delay um, the start of use. And even by delaying it, um, you know, five years or so, 
um, that can play a huge role in um, protecting a child's brain and, and protecting them from risky behaviors. Um, so it's really important to have that education start as young, you know, as elementary school and then keep continuing through high school. Mm-hmm. The research is pretty compelling. When you look at young people who start drinking before they're 21, um, they're four times more likely to become chemically dependent. Um, 47% versus 9% will become de- chemically dependent. And we've known that for a long time, but what we haven't known are some of the complicating issues that those young people, there's a study of 43,000 adults that really confirmed that issue of more, time, more likely to become chemically dependent, more likely to become dependent earlier. Um, and then more at risk to develop chronic and relapsing de- dependence. So people who start u- drinking heavily later and become alcoholic, um, if it's later in their lives, they tend to recover easier. And that's a lot of information we just didn't have. So it, it really supports that need to keep pushing that age of onset. Um, can I give you a quick example of, the, of where that actually happened in a community? Absolutely, yes, I do. Uh, because people think that it, it, you, can't, you can't make a difference, that these trends are so scary, but you can. I had the opportunity to work um, in a community in California, and we, we had a very strong community coalition, and one of our goals was to delay onset. And that community coalition was worked with every sector of the community to send consistent messages. Um, and one of the things that they worked on was a, uh, an early, pro- early prevention program um, that all of those things together when we started, this, 28% of the seventh graders had used alcohol. And we cut that in half within about five years to 14%. That's a significant number of young people in that really critical age of, of brain development that delayed their, delayed their use. And we did it through just a variety of strategies of working with the schools and the parents and the churches and the... Um, servers, the, all those, or, those places that served alcohol. We just did all of the things that we knew that worked. And it was really exciting to see the data come back, that, that those things made a difference in the lives of real kids that we, could, we knew. We knew the kids. Right. What are some of the things you, you mentioned in general that you, you, know, you were in contact and worked with various components of the community? What does work? What are some of the specific things that brought that percentage down and that can do that in lots of communities? I think um, one of the key things we've learned through research is that you need to work at different levels of kids' experience. So you need to work at educating them on how to interact with their peers, teaching them peer resistance skills, teaching them positive, fun alternatives to using Um, The whole social norming part, realizing that not all kids are using and helping them to really figure out how to navigate situations when they're in a, um, with a group of peers who start to use, how do I get out of that situation? How do I prevent myself from getting into those situations? So there's a lot of education at the individual level, but then it's also, research has shown it's very important to have family members involved to get parents involved. Kids listen to their parents, believe it or not, and they, if they hear the no-use message from their parents, uh, it's very strong. And I would say to a parent who is in recovery themselves, even though you used when you were younger or you had trouble, there is nothing that should stop you from telling your child not to use. Um, that, in fact, your story can be the story that can help them see why they should not be using. Um, and sometimes parents who are in recovery are really reluctant to talk about it because they, they didn't maybe follow that path. Um, the other thing we look at is really um, rallying the whole school environment around it, educating the, all of the teachers, all of the staff um, to be modeling the behavior that we want and to be sending the messages school-wide. And then, as Marty mentioned, community-wide. Um, we're finding that kids need to hear the message over and over from different people in, in different places in the community in order for it to be really effective. 
Mm-hmm. It's almost like you're you're uh, inviting a culture shift, giving them a different. You talked about environmental factors, kind of almost creating a different environment. Is that sound it's like very language? true? And it, um, you know, I've worked a lot um, in the area of bullying prevention, and that is one of the main things that we try to do is shift the social norm from one of um, that bullying is funny or at least it's I passively passively observe it to being one where I no longer want to tolerate it and I stand up for the kid who's being bullied. Um, 80% of the kids in school don't like the bullying, but they tend to not know what to do about it. And um, if we as adults can educate them about what to do and then if they know that we're going to reinforce um, the discipline, if if they do report it, um, then you'll start to see social change in your school and and um, social norms changing. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things specifically that people that are in recovery, you mentioned some things about parents in recovery. What can adults in recovery do to support prevention and help young people? Well, there are about 5,000 community coalitions across our country. I'd say check it out. Find out if there's a coalition in your community and get involved. Um, a lot of those prevention coalitions, believe it or not, do not have a strong connection with the recovery community. I, I can't believe how many coalition meetings I've sat in on, and there's no one there from recovery. And I mean, there's people recovering, obviously, who's sitting there, but, but the recovery community itself isn't engaged. And there's a role to play. Um, the public health model talks about primary, secondary, and tertiary prevention. Primary means before young people have, have ever started. And in, um, the, the secondary is being able to intervene. And the third is to be able to find help. Well, the recovering community um, can mentor and support young people. They can start programs in the community where, where young people have a safe place to go with adults that are there to listen. Um, so they have a strong role to play there. They can start Alateen groups where young people who are living in families where alcohol and drugs are a problem can get help. So there's that whole early intervention and support that, that the recovering community can do for young people. They can be mentors for young people. I, I think about the research is very strong that even kids who are in really risky situations, if they had just one adult that cares about them, um, that can make a significant difference. So I was hoping, as I was listening to your meditation, Anna, and I was picturing people driving home, listening to your words and listening to the meditation and thinking about how they can extend their wisdom and self-care to others, I was hoping that they were visualizing one or two young people that they care about, that they can make a difference. And if they're not visualizing that, Find um, a mentoring program or some way of connecting with young people to, to share that love. Um, that's, that's very powerful. Mm-hmm. But if I can say one thing about prevention, I do know something that doesn't work, ironically, is when a recovering person goes in front of a, a, an assembly of school kids and tell, shares their story. So I, I really discourage... Um, people in recovery from doing that and and unless it's balanced really strongly with a lot of other things that are happening in the community. If that's happening, if you can balance the message with um, lots of kids are are using, choosing not to use and you have that really powerful message going, then you can have that other message um, of a recovering person sharing their story. And the reason that it doesn't work well, and evidence has shown this, is that it's really hard not to give a double message. You're up there in the auditorium. You've got everybody's attention. They're really excited about what you're saying, and you maybe are telling some really scary stories, but they're pretty interesting, kind of exciting, and you look really good sitting up on that, on that stage. And so the double message that kids get is, I can do all these risky, scary things that actually sound kind of fun, and I can make it through it. And so they get an inadvertent double message from what is a very um, well-meaning thing to do. Somehow we think that if kids heard our story, 
that they would then avoid using. Mm-hmm. And the research just doesn't show it. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. That makes, uh, that makes a lot of sense why that didn't work. Hang on. It's time for our break. But that's a, that is fascinating. We're going to reflect on this here. Listeners, stay with us. Reflect on that point, And we'll be right back to continue our conversation about what do we owe our kids with Marty Harding and Sue Thomas, um, experts in prevention. We'll be right back. Affirm the good that flows within you and stretch to reach your divine potential with daily inspirational messages from Daily Word. My affirmation of faith is, I release and I let go. I release my desire to control people or situations. I let go of fear, worry, and doubt. I trust in divine power, which is infinitely capable of establishing right outcomes. I align myself with this power through prayer and meditation. Opening my mind and heart to the wisdom of the universe, I recall the promise, I am with you always to the end of the age. With this assurance, I find the strength to let go of anything holding me back. Letting go and letting God is a choice. It empowers me to move forward with ease and confidence. It provides me peace of mind and the assurance of divine order. As I let go and let God, I open the door to infinite possibilities. Daily Word magazine is now available in a digital format. A one-year subscription to Daily Word Digital Magazine with audio is only $9.95. That's less than three cents a day to start your day right, centered and connected to the truth within you. To learn how you can subscribe to this online interactive magazine, go to www.dailyword.com. Are you tired of life slamming the door in your face? Did you get another rejection letter, pink slip, foreclosure notice, or go on yet another bad date? Does it seem like the older you get, the more hopeless life seems? Are you ready to stop taking no as your final answer? Then join us for Design Your Life, a talk show by Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach. Go into the locker room for one full hour with a championship coach every week. And start designing your winning playbook that will make the rest of your life the best of your life. That's Design Your Life with Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach. Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with your host, Reverend Anna Schaus, PhD. And now, here's Anna. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. And our topic today, if you're just joining us, is what do we owe our kids? And we're talking about uh, prevention efforts and how they really are effective and how they do work. Uh, the prevention of uh, using alcohol or other drugs, preventing dating violence, preventing bullying, and suicide prevention. My guests are Marty Harding, who is the Director of Training and Consultation, and Sue Thomas, the Director of Content Innovations and Management at Hazelden Publishing. You can read more about uh, details. There's a lot of good information on the Hazelden website, and that's www.hazelden.org. And you can uh, go into the publishing area, and they've got lots of good free downloads there about prevention in all these areas. You can also go to the Monitoring the Future website and find out some good information on... um, what's happening with young people and prevention efforts. So, uh, Marty and Sue, before the break, you were giving us some great ideas about what the recovery community can do to uh, support prevention efforts in young people and some important things about what not to do to avoid those double messages. Because sometimes kids, if they see a recovering person, what they see, which is good, is they see that person uh, doing well, but what the kids don't see is the gruesome uh, distress that that person had to go through to get to that point. So uh, we learned some things, too, not to do. What can uh, parents do to support prevention efforts with their 
children and teens? Um, well, I think there's a lot a parent can do. Um, first of all, I think is um, really to um, talk to their child about use and the consequences of use um, and um, set clear limits in your family about what, what your expectations are around use. Um, oftentimes we think as parents that teens don't want to listen to us, but the research shows that um, parents are probably one of the most influential um, people in a child's life, and what parents um, say is okay is usually um, a very good indicator of how they'll um, uh, progress in life. I think another thing that's really important for kids is um, giving them permission to call you if they get in a situation where um, there's a party or there's a group of kids that are using and they didn't expect to be there. Instead of being fearful of calling you to get a ride home, um, say ahead of time that if you're ever in that kind of a situation, um, call me and I'll come and get you no questions asked. Um, that gives kids an out. It gives them an excuse for not using. You know, my parents would be upset or whatever. It's really important that they could even use you as an excuse. Um, it would be very helpful to them. I think it's also very important to listen to them and obviously just the good parenting things of investing time in them and caring about them and, and getting them involved in other activities that allow them to have fun without using. I think it's also helpful to know who they're hanging out with and who are their peers and who are their friends and, and caring about that. Caring about who their parents, uh, friends' parents are and is there alcohol in that home and, and do they, um, are they in that home when the parents aren't there and, and caring about those kinds of things I think is really important. And I think the other thing to, look, to do is really look for the warning signs. Um, if you see a change in grades, if you see a change in behavior, uh, in your child, um, don't let it go. Question it. Um, ask what's going on. Oftentimes you'll see signs of use. Um, and especially, I think, for people in recovery, certainly not everybody, but uh, for some people in recovery, there's a genetic uh, predisposition to use and chemical dependency. And I think it's really helpful to educate your child about that, um, that hereditarily they are set up to perhaps be more vulnerable to abuse and addiction. And I think it's a really important thing to talk about with your child. Um, so these are just a few things that I think we would recommend. That's good. I know one question that some people have, and, and we addressed this a little bit earlier with people in recovery, but parents that uh, maybe are not addicted, but in their uh, younger years, they did use some illegal drugs. And there's a question now about whether parents should or shouldn't disclose that to their child. There's probably not one right answer, but what are some guidelines about that? There's just a recent study that came out about, about disclosing, and I think it has a lot to do with how it's done. Um, first of all, kids need to get a very clear message, regardless of your past, that they should choose not to use. If they know that you have used, um, you're in recovery, um, be honest about it and say, yes, I did. And that's about all you need to say. I think where parents get into trouble is that they say too much. And they go on and on about their experiences. And then it's really hard because of how our memories work to not make that sound like it's fun. And so that's, that's an issue that parents get into. So saying, being honest, but saying, but, but less is better than more in that case. The other thing I wanted to do is to talk um, directly to your, um, your listeners about being a good role model. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that divides the community is this issue about should you use or not. Let's just talk about legal drugs, first of all. Okay. Um, there's, two way, there's two ways to be a good role model. You can be a good role model by choosing not to use. And, of course, for our recovering communi- community, that's the only choice that they have to remain healthy. So, so that's a great way to be a good role model. But you can also be a good role model as an adult if you use appropriately, moderately, and legally. And that takes a bit of of uh, learning about what is moderate especially and what is appropriate. And appropriate changes, but moderate doesn't. 
And so just look at that whole idea of moderation and what does it mean and what are you role modeling and what are you saying. If you are role modeling that alcohol needs to be present at every occasion and every celebratory occasion, you're sending a message to your young person that really being at a kegger is an okay thing because that's what you do. You gather around the alcohol and you have a good time. So those are some things to just, just think about is how is your behavior and your, how are your behavior and your words matching or not? And what kind of messages are you sending? But it's, it's okay to use if you're following that appropriate, moderate, and legal guideline and being very clear about what that is with your young person. Right. That's good. And that relates maybe to some of uh, the confusion that happens in communities when they do implement prevention programs. What are, what are some of the issues that come up that might, be, uh, might hold prevention efforts back in a community? I think that's a big one. People don't really want to put themselves out there if they're using and they think they're going to be judged by other people. Mm-hmm. And so they just don't, it's just easier to not get involved and just doing, just do what they do as good parents in their own homes and not, not really step out. Mm-hmm. In small communities, too, it's hard to step forward into a leadership position for anything because once you do that, people can take pot shots at you. And so it really takes courage to be a leader to make any change in a community, whether that's around standing up about dating violence. We have a lot of people now are coming forward, thank God, and and trying to change what the term is now out there all of a sudden about rape culture. We're trying to change that image that that, um, strong men support strong women and those messages that are out there that, that, that will prevent dating violence in adults and young people, domestic violence. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot that can be done, um, but I do think it takes strong, being willing to be a strong leader and willing to kind of get, really talk about some of the issues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. With that, you... Again, we our time is uh, we don't have a lot of time left, but I do want to touch some more into what you brought up about the dating violence, and we've touched into bullying uh, a bit there, and um, also the the suicide prevention. So, what are some of the things that are being done? We know that they're all intertwined and intertwined with the substance use and abuse. So, uh, you ta- said some things that are happening uh, with the prevention of dating violence. Anything else that's going on in that arena? Um, there's great education that's happening in the schools. We have a program called um, Safe Dates, which I love as a trainer. It's one of my favorite things to train on um, because it really teaches young people about healthy and safe and good relationships. That's its focus and mm-hmm. how, to, how to recognize what's good, how to recognize what's not a good relationship, how to get out of it, and how to support your peers. Mm-hmm. That's great. And again, people can download a lot of free information on the hazelden.org website in the publishing area. And there are also a lot of websites out there. It's just amazing um, for that are targeted for young people, for teens, for children about prevention um, efforts. It's good stuff. I'm putting you on the spot here. Is there, in, in asking you, is there anyone that you recommend um, specifically that has, a, I know there's lots of them out there. I think go to Break the Cycle's website. Um, okay. Break the Cycle is awesome. They, they are a national organization that focuses on advocacy, particularly in um, policy and law setting, but they have lots of great information. They have a peer empowerment program called Speak, Act, Change, which activates the power of youth. That's a, a, a great program. Um, so uh, Break the Cycle is wonderful. Futures Without Violence is a, a national organization that is very concerned. Of course, Center for, for Disease Control has information on all areas that affect youth. That's a great, a great website. Their youth website focuses on dating violence, on, on bullying and alcohol and other drugs and trauma. There's, they have lots of, lots of, of good information. 
And, of course, we're very biased about our programs, Anna, I have to say. You are, and they're great. You have great programs. Um, and we do have a, a website for those. It's violencepreventionworks.org if anybody's interested. In, and sure. and that, that website also has a lot of good background information on bullying and, and dating violence and suicide prevention. Yeah, a lot of free information on there for parents mm-hmm. that, that you can take and use. Mm-hmm. And that's called violencepreventionorg uh, Violence Prevention Works. With works. an S on the end there, and okay. then .org. Okay, great. That's perfect. Violencepreventionworks.org. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, what's your final word of wisdom for us here, Marty and Sue, about recovering people, parents, communities, grandparents, teachers, we're out, we're lot, ministers, churches? What's the number one thing that we need to remember about prevention and doing what we can for our young people? May I have two? Yes, you can have two. I'll give you two. I'll give you two. Why not? Okay. Um, yeah, so, so one thing is to remember as parents that you can do everything right and your kids still can become chemically dependent. There's, that you can't, there's no guarantee. And so um, in that case, get help for yourself. Go to, go to Al-Anon. Find a good group um, and get some help for yourself. And I think my final thing is just to make sure that in your community that we're surrounding young people with supportive and caring adults. Um, and that's really a, a key thing for all of these issues. And I, I would only add to that, too, that uh, I think we can play a huge role in advocating for prevention programs in our schools. Um, schools are challenged with a lot of things on their plate. And it's really parents that can advocate for a prevention program. And I would really stress that they should advocate for an evidence-based prevention program. Uh, What that means is it's a program that has been thoroughly researched and shown to work. A lot of times schools will uh, maybe use a program that um, doesn't have any research, and uh, a good example of that is assembly program. They'll pay thousands for that. um, We're going to have to go, but... um, So don't do that, but, yeah, use those evidence-based programs. I apologize, we got to go, but... Marty and Sue, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful program, and thank you so much for the work that you're doing out there, and you're putting the feet on the spirituality, getting out there and helping young people. Listeners, thank you for being with us today on Spirit of Recovery. God bless, and we'll be with you again next week. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. Committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Have you ever considered that everything you think and say is a prayer to the universe? Are you sending a positive or negative message? Join Rev. Beverly Molander and her guests on Affirmative Prayer, Activating the Power of Yes, to find out how they activated the power of yes in their lives, their communities, or the world. If they can do it, you can too. Listen to Beverly Molander and her guests live every Monday at noon Central, 1 p.m. Eastern on Affirmative Prayer, activating the power of yes, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Things may happen around you. Things may happen to you. But the only things that really count are the things that happen in you. This meditative moment from Reverend Eric Butterworth is brought to you by Unity. Stop feeding your problems by calling them problems. Whether you have issues with weight, finances, relationships, or any other area of your life, your perception that you have a problem 
is the most significant roadblock to transforming your life. Join renowned author and transformational coach, Freeman Michaels, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Central for his remarkable new show, It's Not a Problem, It's a Pattern, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us, and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.